Uh, as you turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 10, as we continue our journey through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, I want to say, uh, I want to mention our bulletin. There's a thing in here, it's called the connection card, and it's a way for you uh, members, if you need to let the pastors know about a prayer need you have that you'd like for us to be praying about this week or checking up uh, with you about, um, you can fill that out uh, and let us know. Um, and we'd appreciate that. That's a great way for you to communicate uh, your needs to us. Um, also, if you're a guest, we'd love to know that you were here. If you're a first-time guest, fill that out. We'd love to send you a little gift, letting you know how much we appreciate you being here. And if you're a guest that's been with us some and, and you want to take a deeper look at Wyatt, or you maybe even want to maybe move towards membership in our church, uh, in two weeks from today, uh, April 23rd, we have our Membership Matters class, and you can also you can sign up for that with the connection slip. So if you're interested in uh, learning more about that class that will be going on two Sundays from now, uh, you can fill that out and put, that, put all of that, in, no matter if it's a prayer request or you're a guest, you can put that in the offering plate later as it comes by. Uh, we would love for you uh, to do that. So Matthew chapter... 7 verses 7 through 10 it says this ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened or which one of you if his son asks him for a bread will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Let's pray one more time before we get going here. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that the members of Wyatt would be a group that passionately and persistently goes hard after you. They go hard after your heart, uh, go out hard after the things that you want us to do. God, move in our hearts. Make us passionately persistent as we pursue you as our good, giving Father this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I just want us to just go ahead and jump real quick at, before we start going through this text is, is the big question when we come to a text like this where it says, hey, ask and God's going to give to you. Just ask and God will give to you. We, especially a text like this that says He's going to give us good things, our mind goes to, what good things? That sounds really good. There's some things I need and I would love for God to give them to me. And oftentimes, they, these are selfish things. And it's only by ripping a verse like this out of context that we ever have any trouble with truly understanding what is He talking about here. Because we've got to see this in the context of the entire Sermon on the Mount. What has he already been talking about? Well, he takes, one thing he did was he took the already hard 
Ten Commandments and he, he raised the bar and he said, it's not just about murder, it's about the hate that's in your heart. He says it's not just about the act of adultery, it's about the lust in your heart. And he commands us several, in several ways to treat others with an unnatural level of patience. He tells us to return evil with good. To love the very enemy that hates us. Then He comes to our worship and He asks us to to give and to pray and to fast for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. To be mindful of your relationship with Him that it's real. That it's not just something you put on for other people. Then he tells us to rip out our hearts from this world in which we this world in which we live and the world in which we see. And he tells us to invest our treasures in a world that we can't yet see in faith. And just last week we, we looked at how he tells us to, to be sure to judge our own hearts and our own sins before we judge someone else. And so there really is no doubt in what we are to be asking and seeking and knocking towards God for, and that is the things of God, the the hard, difficult, almost impossible challenges that He's given us in the Sermon on the Mount. Challenges to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And to love our neighbors, ourselves. The the Sermon on the Mount is, is full of the commands that drive us back to those two central truths. And so, when this text tells us to ask, seek, and knock, it's not about a new car. It's not about more money. It's about a life that is more obedient to God. A life that is taking up this challenge of what He's laid out in the Sermon on the Mount and and putting it at the center of our hearts as we go hard after God. And and, and God is is basically interrupting this this amazing, some of the most, most challenging words ever written on paper And he's interrupting that for a moment and saying, look, just ask me and I'll help you. It seems impossible to be this kind of Christian, to be this kind of person. It seems impossible, but I'm here to be your help if you would ask and seek and knock and pursue me. So what I want to speak to you on this morning is if we would pursue God with persistence our father will give us good things so the first thing I want us to see is how are we to pursue God how are we to pursue God the first thing is that we have to acknowledge a change needs to be made in our lives we need to examine our lives and to see where where are we being disobedient in, in the commands of the Sermon on the Mount and the commands of all of Scripture? Where is my life not where it needs to be and what changes need to be made? And the problem for many of us is we never, we never consider those things. We never consider how close are we to God? Have we, have we 
grown at a distance to God? Are we, are we keeping His commands as we should? And a couple of reasons we, we don't, I believe, is, is time. Is when you have kids with baseball practice, gymnastics, and, and various school activities, and, and when you have a job with a boss breathing down your neck, or you're, uh, you're at, uh, at home and the laundry is piling up, you just feel like you don't have time to just stop for a moment and to consider, where am I with God? Is my life being obedient to God? And we don't make time for it. And I think sometimes we're just so stinking comfortable as Americans who, by and large, if we compare us to the rest of the world, life's pretty good. And so there's not much time spent in thinking about our needs because we feel like life's going pretty well. So in our busyness and in our comfort, we never stop to ask ourselves, where is my life? in conjunction with God. There may be some moments of great discomfort where we do finally ask those hard questions, but usually it's just those moments. But considering what spiritual changes a person needs to make should not just be what we consider over the funeral of a, at the funeral of a loved one, it should be in our mind every day as we get out of bed. The prayer of our lips daily should be, God, what must I change to be more like Christ? As John Owen said famously, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There is no, there is no passivity in your old nature of that sinful nature that wants to pull you away from God. And so either you will be engaged in asking yourself daily, where am I and what do I need to change? Or you will be falling by the wayside. Every day we should look into the mirror of the Word and ask ourselves, what do I need to change? Now once you begin to have that need, that spiritual longing for Christ, we, we need to go to the right place for help. We must realize that change will only be found in God Himself. There, there's a temptation that we have, uh, that, that I've had in my life at least, that there's moments where I see that something needs to change, that something is not where it needs to be before my God. And so what do I do? I think, I can't go back to Him again with this same thing, with this same sin. I can't go back to Him because I haven't been praying in in two weeks, and so I've, I've got to get back to praying. And so there's this, this, this idea, this, this thing that comes into us, that I'll fix myself, and then I'll go to God. And that's so backwards from what the Gospel demands of us. That's law. That's just us. That's religion. That's us seeing our need and trying to do better, and trying to fix it ourselves, when what the Scriptures command is to ask, and to seek, and to knock hard after God, and allow Him to help you in the things that need to change. And we must 
according to these scriptures, be persistent in our pursuit of change. Be pursuit, persistent in your pursuit of change. We are commanded in verse 7 to ask, to seek, and to knock. It's imperative. It's do this. Ask and, and seek and knock. And then he comes back and, and, and makes a declaration in verse 8 with these same words that everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. You know, we have these, these three words that, that are repeated in the first two verses of our text here. Ask, seek, and knock. And some people will view these, uh, these words as a process of how, how we can get God's attention. Some people uh, will, will say these are varying degrees. So like, you ask first, and then if that doesn't work, you, you seek, and that's a little harder. That's a little, a little more passionate. And then, and then if that doesn't work, man, you knock, you bang on the door. And, and there may be some truth to some of that, but, but I think we can definitely, what we can definitely get right with these three words is the overarching idea that, that to grow in Christ and to make the changes that you need to make to be in accordance with the Sermon on the Mount, it takes passionate persistence. That that's what these three words are about. It's about going. It's about asking and seeking and knocking and keeping that up until God gives us those good things that we're longing for in our heart, those spiritual things. Folks, the reality is, is that we really have, don't have that much trouble being persistent. Just a few years ago, uh, I stood at the uh, electronics counter at Walmart starting at 5 a.m. for three hours so I could get the new iPhone because it was the only one coming into El Dorado. I wanted it. I was, for the first time, I was doing upgrade right when the new one came out, right? So I was there. And we live in a society that, what, has midnight showings, right? Like, you could fill up a theater with a big movie if you show it on opening day at midnight because people want to be the first ones there to see it. Forget about the fact that they're going to be zombies the next day at work. They're going to be able to go to work and say, I saw the new big blockbuster. We'll pay a fortune to go and, and, and sit in nosebleed seats at a college football game just to say we were there when the view from the TV would have been so much clearer. We want to say we were there. So we pay a fortune to get there. Passionate persistence is not an issue for our culture. The question is, when it comes to a moment when we discover sin in our life, or we dis discover a distance in our relationship with God, in those moments, will we show passionate persistence or we will, will we bail in five minutes? When we feel the, a distance from God, do we seek Him for a couple of days before we grow frustrated that, hey, He's not revealing Himself. He's not doing all this stuff that He said He was going to do. And I've been, I've been praying regularly for two days. Do 
Do you go to the Scriptures and say, you know, my heart hasn't been in the Word. And you go there and, and you knock at God's heart through, through reading His Scriptures because you want Him to reveal Himself and you're knocking by reading the Scripture, but, oh, it's dry. It just feels so dry. I'm not getting anything out of it. Now, I've been doing this for three days. And He hadn't, hadn't revealed anything great. He hasn't changed my life with His Word. And when we cast the Scriptures aside and say, what's the deal here? I see it all the time in my counseling office where a couple will come to me or a man or woman will come to me and they want to use God as a means to fix their broken marriage. And so suddenly they're interested in God. And so I talk to them about, about how to love God better, how to get in the Word, and how to pray. And they come back the next week and, man, I've done everything. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. And... And she's still being mean to me. This God stuff isn't working. You've been neglecting God in your marriage for 15 years and you think in a week that, that you're going to read your Bible a little more and pray a little more and suddenly everything's going to be fixed? Come on! You who feel that distance from Christ you who are having trouble obeying Him, I would ask you how much truly passionate persistence have you used in going after Him? I guarantee you there are things in your life that you show passionate persistence about. To make sure that you get to watch that show or make sure you get on the lake to go fishing. You'll, you'll do a lot of things to make sure you get there. And I would ask you, how much passionate persistence do you use to grow close to your God? Ask. Seek Him and knock until the light of Christ comes bursting into your life, chasing away the darkness that's troubling you. If it takes days, great. If it takes weeks or months, just stick to it. Because the Scripture, as we're about to see, tells us that He's a good Father and He wants to give you good things. And He will give you good things if you are persistent in asking. So the next thing I want us to see is, why are we to pursue God? And first, it points to the goodness of evil fathers. This is interesting. He said, Or which one of you, if his sons ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? And then he goes on to say, If you who are evil, okay, not a compliment, is it? But we are. We are all, all of us in this room who are fathers, we have evil in our hearts because we're not yet glorified. And yet, even with that evilness in our heart, we are still very capable of giving great things to our kids. I mean, there are rare, there are rare sociopaths with no conscience that, that will maybe do evil things to their kids. That's true. But by and large, there is a 
in the most evil person, there's still a soft spot for their son or daughter. I mean, even, even when they make a mess of their sons and daughters' lives, very often, more often than not, it's, it's, a, it's a side effect. It's, it's, not, it's not like they, they, they chose this addiction to hurt their child. It's that, it's that they chose this addiction and, and in the process hurt their child. So having looked upon the fatherly care of evil men, we are then asked to turn our eyes to our Heavenly Father and to see the abundant goodness of our Heavenly Father. Verse 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts? things to those who ask him if evil men give good gifts to their children the point here is multiply that by a million and you are just beginning to see the goodness of your heavenly father as much as as i love my kids as much as i I seek to do them well I can never give them their greatest need because their greatest need is a Savior that can save them from their sins. And only the Heavenly Father can give them that. But not only does the Heavenly Father provide redemption, that that salvation for us, He provides so much more through that redemption. What if I decided that I'm going to be your friend? I want to be your friend. And, and to start that relationship, I'm going to give you everything I own. I'm going to deed my house to you. I'm going to deed my vehicles to you. I'm going to just clear out my bank account and hand you a, a, the little wad of cash that I have in the bank account. It, you would first probably think I was insane But if you judge me to be in my right mind, here's what you would know about me. That I will stop at nothing to provide and to love you as my friend. That that you never have to ask if if I ever get hungry, is my friend Adam going to take care of me? No, he he offered me everything at the onset of our friendship. So sure, he'll, he'll give me a warm meal tonight. He'll give me a a glass of water when I'm thirsty because at the onset, He offered me everything. And this is what the Heavenly Father did at the onset of our relationship with Him. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? He gives us Christ and then He sets Himself up as our servant, as our servant who gives to us. God is our servant. It would almost sound heretical if it wasn't so clearly revealed in the Scriptures. 
God has ordered life in such a way that He gets the glory as the servant. You may say, well, He's God, so isn't, aren't I the one that's supposed to give to Him? He's the God, right? I would ask you a question. What are you going to give Him? What are you going to contribute to an all-sufficient God that He needs? The holy God has said, no. I'm the one who gives. I'm the one who serves. Acts 17 says, He is not served by human hands as though He needed anything. So, we do serve God. Okay? But we don't serve Him as though He needed anything. Since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's saying, I'm the giver. I'm the all-sufficient, overflowing with, with, with grace and mercy and power. That is my gift. I'm, I'm overflowing out of the sufficiency of myself to give you what you need. Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And so we serve, we, we, we serve a Father, a Heavenly Father who is out to give us good and awesome things. We can trust Him. We can go to Him. We can ask and seek and knock after Him knowing that He will give us good things. But I do want to say here, as I've said some in the Sermon on the Mount, that this promise, like the other promises in the Sermon on the Mount, are for His children. We see this idea of our Father. This, this idea is found 15 times in the Sermon on the Mount. And once again, I want to say that there is no universal fatherhood in God. That though He is Creator of all, He is not the Father of all. So you're not reading these verses assuming that no matter where you are with God, that you're someone that can ask, seek, knock, and God's going to give you good things. It's only His children that this promise is for. So... How can you become a child of God if you would say, I, I don't know that I am His child? How can you know that you have this, this amazingly heavenly Father who will give you good things? If you would trust that Jesus was the Son of God and that He lived a perfect life and that He died on the cross, on that cross He received the death that you deserved so that in His resurrection you might have the eternal life that you do not deserve. If you would trust that, that He did all that on your behalf. That He didn't just do it, that he, that he did it for your sins. Because you needed that. And you will repent of your sins. The Bible says that He will forgive you and adopt you as His son or His daughter. This morning, you may, you may, walk, you may have walked in this room feeling totally alone. 
You may feel like it has been years since you've received good things from anybody. Maybe you come in here with a father who was not the good father that, that you wished you would have had. You can leave this place knowing that you have a heavenly father who seeks to give you good things. And lastly, what are we to pursue God for? So here when it says the things that he gives us, he says good things. And that's not a lot of information, is it? That's what many of you wives get uh, when your husband comes home and you ask him how his day was. Well, things happened. What kind of things? Good things. There's not a lot of information there. We're just simply told that, that he will give us good things. I would say the first and foremost uh, and the, mo- the most important thing that God gives us is Himself. We pursue God for Him to give us Himself. In the parallel verses of our text in Luke 13, this is what Jesus says. Uh, this is how it's recorded in Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We know that the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity who actually, uh, in this life, on this earth, dwells within us. Jesus says something amazing in John 16-7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For, I, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. I mean, how many of us would say that having the Holy Spirit within us is better than having Christ beside us? And yet that's exactly what Jesus says about the Spirit. He says, hey, I'm going to go, but it's going to be better for you because when I go, I'm going to send my Spirit to dwell in, in you and to guide you in your life. I believe one of our biggest problems as Baptists is that we don't pursue closeness with the Holy Spirit. That because, and there have been manifold um, uh, wrong teachings about the Holy Spirit and, and things done in the name of the Holy Spirit that, that are terrible, that are awful, that are deceiving many, many around the world. But because of that, we've gone the other way and we've just kind of put Him over in the corner. Like there's the Father and there's the Son and, and we're just going to put the Spirit in the corner because... People do weird things in His name. And think about how crazy that is. Think about that, how crazy that is that, that we would take a member of the Trinity and kind of put Him off to the side and not really talk about Him and not really pursue Him and not go after Him. What a deadly thing we could do in response to what is bad. We should be people that are asking daily, 
God, strengthen your spirit within me. As I, as I read this text, God, I ask that the, the spirit would illuminate the word of God and bring it into my heart and, and help me to apply it to my life. God, as I go throughout the day, I pray that you would help the Holy Spirit to guide me to make sure that I make the, the best choices I can possibly make to glorify you. Y'all, it is a deadly, deadly thing. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. It is a deadly thing because of abuses in the Holy Spirit's name for us to neglect a person of the Trinity. We do that to our own demise. And so, one of the good things the main good things that God gives us is Himself in, in this life as we live our lives. He, he's given us the Spirit to live with us daily and we must not downplay that. We should pursue it. We should ask and seek and knock on God's heart asking Him to please strengthen the Holy Spirit that's in me. And Secondly, we pursue God for His good things. We have to pursue things that God determines to be good. That God determines to be good. We could come up with a list of good things. Sports cars or a new side-by-side, a bigger house, a promotion, simply a stack of laundry done. And these are things that we would deem as good. But we must have faith in our Heavenly Father to determine what is good for us. There may be things He deems as good things that, that to us look awfully bad. On the, on the other hand, there are often things we deem as good that God looks on as awfully bad. I mean, have you ever prayed for something and you asked God and you, you knocked. You, you asked and you knocked and you sought God in a matter. And He absolutely said no. And now you look back on it and you say, thank you God for telling me no because I was crazy to want that so bad. Maybe Garth Brooks has figured that out. Our unanswered prayers, right? But let us also not be gloomy and assume that our idea of good and God's idea of good will never naturally line up. Sometimes He's going to give you that promotion you pray for because you've been faithful to Him at your job. You've been a hard worker because of the glory of God and, and, and you get that promotion. At times He's going to heal that disease that you're worried about he's going to heal that relationship that's broken he's going to do things that you agree is a good thing is a good thing other times it, it will simply take us a while to to see the good that jesus brought out of a certain situation that we don't we don't understand god why would you do this why would you bring this in my life why would you not answer this prayer and time will tell that He brought a lot of good from it. And sometimes it isn't just time, but spiritual maturity that, that hopefully as we grow in Christ, what we view as good and what God views as good is going to come together more and more and more often. 
Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who, who walk uprightly. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that you serve a God, a, a, a holy giving Father that, that will never give you anything but what is good for you? If you're a Christian, that's the promise. In conclusion this morning, Christian, do you detect a distance in your relationship with God? If you would ask, seek, and knock after your Heavenly Father, He longs to give you that good thing of Himself. And the reality is, is that although we oftentimes feel distant from God because of sin or because we're not going hard after Him, the reality is He's never far from His people. He's never far from His son or His daughter. As A.W. Tozer said, we need never shout across the spaces to an absent God. He is nearer than our own soul, closer than our most secret thought. Christian, do you feel challenged in your obedience to God? Do you hear the commands of the Sermon on the Mount and, and you think, man, I'm a failure. Ask, seek, and knock. And your Heavenly Father who gave you Christ will also give you the ability to obey Him. Don't try to do it on your own. That's not gospel. That's law. Flee and run and, 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 and seek after and ask and knock so that God will give you these things. And if you're here and you cannot confidently call God your Father, if you would trust in Christ this morning, you could walk out of this room knowing you have a Heavenly Father that is giving you good things, that everything that He gives you is good. I'm going to be down here. I would love uh, to talk to, to you if you don't know Christ. I would love to talk to you more about that. If we would pursue God with persistence, our Father will give us good things. Let's pray. Ask our musicians to come. God, I ask that You would help us to go hard after You. God, we sometimes get so easily frustrated and yet we're seeking something that is so amazing. God, help us to realize that it's worth going hard after. It's worth passion, being passionately persistent about. God, help us to ask, to seek, and to knock. God, until we, until we have what we need to live the life You've called us to. God, move in us. God, there's no one here who should say they're where they need to be. There's no one here who could say that. There's no one who could say they're keeping the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. So we all need this morning to be pursuing You. And God, I pray if there's someone here who doesn't know You, 
that your spirit would convict their hearts and draw them to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please stand.